You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of our discussion by sending in questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast before we get started with the outstanding questions that you guys submitted. I do want to address a lie that I told you. On the Monday podcast, I said twice that if the Chargers won on Sunday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers, that the Bills would not be in the playoffs if the season ended today. I was wrong about that. The Bills are the number seven seed, and the Chargers won the game. And so what I didn't account for when I said that to you is that Pittsburgh would fall out of being in the playoffs and that the Bills would assume their spot. And so that was a blunder on my behalf. I told you some bad information, and for that, I am sorry. And I wanted to go ahead and address that right here at the beginning of this podcast. All right, let's get started with herd mentality. First one today comes from Johnny. Johnny says, my first question is about our base nickel defense. I understand Taron Johnson is a highly skilled and highly paid player, but I'd love to see us in base 4-3 when Edmonds is back. Klein has good instincts, I believe, and we consistently get totally steamrolled by run-first teams, and I'm nervous New England will do the same. I think this is an extremely fair thing to bring up, and Leslie Frazier was asked about this during his press conference on Monday, and he defended the team's position of playing in the nickel defense, and he didn't really think that having three linebackers on the field would make a difference in that you know some of their eight-man fronts failed them to begin with and you know that it started up front. And I think there's some truth to that. Here's what I'll say. I'm not sure that I fully believe that playing in a 4-3 would have changed that game or drastically improved the Bills' ability to defend the run against Indianapolis. But what I will say is that a more concerted effort to take away the run should have been made. You hear the Bills talk about how their defensive identity is to take away what you do best and force you to play left-handed. Well, everybody in the world knew that Jonathan Taylor was going to get the football and that he was going to be the focal point for the Colts on Sunday, and the Bills couldn't stop it. And so I think you had to do a better job of doing everything you can to stop Jonathan Taylor or slow him down and force Carson Wentz to beat you throwing the football. And even if that means exposing your secondary, selling out to stop the run and forcing them to throw was a much better idea than just getting gashed in the run. So if your identity and your philosophy on defense is to take away the thing that the opponent does best, well... It wasn't hard to figure out what this Colts team was going to do, and they did it. And so I think that's 
where my frustration would go. Um, maybe that means 4-3. I'm not totally convinced of that. More run blitzing, more eight-man boxes, those types of things. I don't think that the Bills' run defense would be better if Tyrell Dotson was on the field instead of Taron Johnson. I honestly don't. So I, I, I have less issue with the alignment and more issue with not being more deliberate to really sell out and try to take that away better than you did and see if you can dictate the style of play by forcing Carson Wentz to be the catalyst for their offense and not Jonathan Taylor. The second question from Johnny and one that was sent in by several people, it says, has your opinion regarding a dome changed at all? In my opinion, I see it being non-favorable playing at home this season. Our fans are fantastic and ride or die with us, but the weather has been crappy. I believe our offense is built for a dome. We can't run the ball well. The money the organization spends on snow removal is too ridiculous, and I believe a retractable roof would be great. I see the Bills on Thanksgiving Day lighting it up and showing what our team is about. All right, so a lot of people are coming at me. Joe, what what about this dome thing? Do you do you think the Bills should have a dome? I know that you changed your mind on this. You once wanted a dome, and then you switched to open air. Here's what I'll say. I don't think that game goes any differently if it's played in a dome. The Bills weren't stopping Jonathan Taylor under any circumstances on Sunday. I think there is a clear competitive advantage to being able to play in the elements that you live in. The problem is that this team hasn't been constructed well enough to do so. It's not an advantage for the Bills because they haven't done a good enough job of making it one. This stadium is years away from being here. The makeup of the team is going to be very different when this stadium is built. And the stadium is going to exist for much longer than Josh Allen's tenure in Buffalo. So if my position has changed on anything... It's that I believe more in the importance of being able to run the football and stop the run. You have to have multiple scripts you can subscribe to to win football games. I think we are focused on symptoms and not the problem in the current debate of open air or covered stadiums. The fact that this Bills team is ill-equipped to play in rain and cold and snow and wind is a fundamental issue with how the team has been constructed. You didn't do a good enough job of embracing the city that you play in and the advantages that that can be for you because you can't run the football and you're soft on run defense. That's the problem. That's the problem. I'm focused on the problem, not the symptoms. Oh, yeah, would it be better if you can control those elements and not have to play in them? Sure. But build a team that can play in them. The next one today comes from Zach, who says, While listening to the Monday Recap Podcast, I totally agree with your take that the Bills are a soft team and always seem to get big-boyed when playing a team that is tough in the trenches. I also agree that this team has no discipline when it comes to penalties, which led me to look up penalty statistics from Pro Football Reference. Under Coach McDermott, the Bills have been top 10 in total flags drawn per season, in four out of five years during his tenure, currently the fourth most penalized team in 2021. Not only that, 
they seem to come out at the most inopportune times, like the defensive holding call on Taron Johnson during the Colts game when Andy was facing a third and long. While there's always talk about building a culture in Buffalo, I find it hard to ignore the fact that the Bills are one of the most penalized teams consistently. Don't get me wrong, I love our coaching staff in the front office, but this penalty situation has to be discussed. I agree, Zach, and it's something that I've brought up a fair amount on this podcast over the last three years. It's something that's surprising when you listen to Coach McDermott talk about fundamentals and not making mistakes and being disciplined, and then you watch his football team play, and penalties have been an issue for years. And whenever I do talk about penalties on the podcast, I typically find a reason to mention the missed tackle problem that has existed seemingly every year for Sean McDermott's defenses. Now, this year they're actually middle of the pack. They're doing okay when it comes to missed tackles, but over the last several seasons, the Bills have been one of the worst tackling defenses in the NFL. And so for a coach that preaches fundamentals and discipline, I continue to be disappointed by the amount of penalties called against his football team and the amount of missed tackles. The next one today comes from Mark who says, We are on course for one of the most disappointing seasons. Echoing your comments yesterday, gone is the shoulder chip and the next man up mentality and my excitement for the season. It seems the process stopped when the preseason forecasts crowned them. You correctly said that there would be a target on their back and they've not risen to the challenge. The Chiefs' victory was great, but over a strong league team and any quality defensive line, our running game is a poison pill. They haven't beaten a team with a winning record at kickoff. They're losing to teams, giving up 150 yards passing, and no late-game drives come to mind. Healthy or not, they haven't stopped Taylor or Henry or overcome top-tier trench lines. So how much accountability lands in the coach's lap? You've talked about falling into the opponent's script. Is that coaching? I've loved watching McBean in the process, and I'm very happy with them. However, I admit to visions of Marty Schottenheimer, so I wonder what you think Coach McDermott's evolution has been, where he is, and where he needs to improve. He made lesser talent better along the way. What about better talent now, and how about the staff? I think it's fair for you to bring some of that up, Mark. I think coaching and Sean McDermott, it deserves considerable blame for where the team is at right now. I will say that it's nowhere near the level of having an ounce of concern in my mind that he's not the right person for the job. And it's completely silly to me to even think about him being on the hot seat. And I'm not suggesting that you're saying that, but if you took a look into my emails, you might see that some people have said that to me. But my current concern for the coaching staff and the front office is that they can have too much faith in their process for player development in that there are players that have plateaued and there was too much belief that they would take the next step. I think about Cody Ford, John Feliciano, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Vernon Butler, Harrison Phillips, even Trent Murphy. These are or have been heavily relied upon players that I don't think the team has been honest enough about and continue to rely on them to do things they're not capable of doing, and now there are roster deficiencies because of that. And so you love the family mentality and all the stuff that they preach about the culture and the organization and how players can come and be the best version of themselves and all that stuff. I love that. 
but I think it can lead to too much reliance and too much belief and too much faith that players are going to improve. And sometimes they are so committed to certain players that they're just not good enough. And, and those guys that I just mentioned, they're they're below average players, they're replacement level players, but they have had big roles on this team. And so I think they got to do a better job of understanding when that player isn't going to be the answer they want them to be and do a better job about finding replacements and creating even more competition for those types of players. So I think that's kind of the downfall of this mindset and this culture and this team-building philosophy that they have embraced is that it has set up some of this where some of these guys just aren't good enough and they have to be more honest about those players. Do you appreciate a well-executed defensive strategy? Of course you do. You're a Bills fan. Just as important as your defensive line is your defensive strategy against thick guacamole. Don't settle for weak chips that can't hold the line. Grab Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, the 6'4", 260-pound linebacker of chips. And folks, these things are delicious. They're sturdy. They hold up to the test. I use them all the time whenever we're having guacamole or buffalo chicken dip or artichoke dip. I can always rely on Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips to do their job and successfully deliver the dip to my mouth and never have the chip break. Every chip is trained to successfully deliver the perfect crunchy guac-filled bite. That's because they're actually cut and fried from tortillas and grown from organic flint corn in the Buffalo, Rochester area. So pick up a bag at your local Wegmans or Whole Foods Market today and say no to weak and crappy tortilla chips forever. The next one today comes from Kyle who says, how would you gauge the Bills against the rest of the AFC in terms of in a position to be playing their best football in December going into January? There are 10 teams in the AFC at four or five losses. Fortunately, the Bills still control their own destiny in terms of a division title, but even with a seventh playoff spot, it's going to take some really good football to claim a wild card spot. I just hate to think that this team peaked in week five. So it's a good question. Here's what I'll say. I think that's where I find hope and optimism. You talk about being in position to play their best football. We know that this team is capable of playing so much better. And not this year, but we've seen this team handle physical matchups before. Go back to last year. They beat Indianapolis. They contained Jonathan Taylor. They beat Baltimore, a tough physical team in the trenches. They beat Pittsburgh. They beat the Rams. So they can do this stuff, right? Like, it's not that crazy to think that the return of Starr and Tremaine and Spencer Brown is going to make this team better. And some of that stuff we're concerned about can go away. There's just so much meat left on the bone for the 2021 Bills and You know, literally every single team in the NFL this year has had some really bad moments. The Bills, they remain confident. If there's anything I have gathered from listening to the press conferences over the last couple of days is that the Bills are confident in who they are and what they can get done. And so I think because the Bills have the talent that they do, because they have the resume that they have, the Bills are very well in position to be playing their best football 
in December and going into January. They just have to do it at some point, right? At some point, the switch has to be flipped and they have to become more consistent. But we know they're capable. And so I'd say that the Bills are very high on that list. Now they just actually have to go do it. The next one comes from Kyle, a different Kyle. Kyle says, just wanted to start out by saying thanks for all your hard work on the podcast, win or lose by the Bills. I'm glad I listened to Monday's episode before sending this email because my main talking point was your opening statement about being soft and getting big boyed. I agree with what you said about Feliciano and Spencer Brown, but just curious if you think there's something else you think leads to this inability of this team this year to overcome adversity. Coaching, lack of fire from leadership, lack of accountability, battling expectations, just a few ideas. Wasn't sure if maybe you had a more cohesive thought in mind. At just a cursory comparison to the team this year versus last year, it would appear that they don't have that dog mentality that you bring up often on the pod, especially like you said when things haven't gone their way. So here's what I think. In addition to all the stuff that I've talked about, I think one of the biggest problems with the 2021 Buffalo Bills is entitlement. I think the Bills have become an entitled team. They expect it to go a certain way, and they don't know what to do when it doesn't. Did you guys see the uh, the post-game video that the Colts Twitter posted with Frank Reich giving his post-game speech, and Jonathan Taylor had some comments? That team was hungry. They had a fire in their bellies. They said we owed them something. They talked about how their next opponent is the Buccaneers, and they said they have what we want, and we got to go take it. Meanwhile, the Jaguars players are pointing out that the Bills had a lack of energy. They got punched in the mouth by the Colts, and they just stood there and took it. Come on now. This team just simply is not as hungry as they were last year, and the best teams, they always find a way to put a chip on their shoulder. How many times have we watched Tom Brady win the Super Bowl and he's on the podium and what is the first thing he always says? Everybody counted us out. They said we were too old. They said we were done. But here we are. We're world champions, right? Like every friggin' time. You listen to Dabo Swinney at Clemson, right? What does he say whenever they win the national championship? Ah, we're just little old Clemson. We're just little old Clemson. Nobody thought we can do it. The best teams, they know how to manufacture that edge. They know how to embrace the underdog mentality when literally nobody is calling them out. When literally nobody is doubting them. The Bills have to find that, right? And look, now they are being doubted. So so maybe they will just by default. But it's still disappointing that they haven't been able to manufacture that chip and they've become an entitled team that because they're talented and because they've paid their dues and because they had the season they did last year that they're supposed to just go out there and mop the floor with their opponents. But like that doesn't happen. You still have to go out and do it. You still have to go through the journey, and it's hard. They have to find that edge again because right now it's missing. They're an entitled football team, in my opinion. Mike says, prior to the Bills game, Sunday's weather report showed rain starting around 2 p.m. and to continue for several hours. 
Looking back, the report was spot on. So I was shocked when the Bills won the coin toss and deferred, kicking the ball to Indy. I would think the Bills' passing offense would want to take advantage of the weather before it started raining. Also knowing our issues with the O-line and rushing offense, you would think it would be very important to take the lead quickly. Instead, they kicked the ball to Indy knowing that they had Starr and Tremaine Edmonds out against one of the best running backs in the game. Instead, Indy took the lead, and we all know what happened after that. I like McDermott, but some of his recent coaching decisions against Indy and the Jaguars have been questionable at best. Curious to hear your thoughts and go Bills. So I understand the thought process here that you would have, Mike, that you outlined in your email, and I got this from several other people as well. So I understand where you're thinking there. I also understand where Sean McDermott is thinking as well, and he addressed this. He was asked about their decision to defer, and he thought that the rain wasn't going to be that bad at the start of the second half, and so they wanted to defer. And in a lot of ways, it went the way that they thought it would in terms of having that opportunity to score at the end of the first half and then get the ball first in the second half and have another opportunity to score, right? They failed. They failed miserably at executing that, but they had that opportunity. Here's what I'll point to in defense of McDermott, because I really do see both sides of the coin on this. I understand where you're going with this. Sean McDermott's probably thinking to himself that the Bills went an NFL record 23 games in a row without allowing an opening drive touchdown, and they hadn't allowed a touchdown in the first quarter all year long, and the simple fact that analytics tell you that it's best to defer your choice to the second half. Now, I also understand that this was a game against Indy and Jonathan Taylor, and you don't have Star, you don't have Tremaine. Like, I, I get both sides of the coin. So I'm not going to get too hung up on this one either way. I understand it on both sides, to be completely honest with you. Next one comes from Adam. Adam says, seems like the offensive line wasn't as bad as a lot of people feared it would be coming into the game, but there were still major issues. My question is, what's the deal with Ryan Bates? He's been on the roster for three years and has barely seen any action in the regular season. With all the shuffling of personnel up front being an issue and Bates having the versatility to supposedly play anywhere on the line, why wouldn't they move him to right tackle and keep Williams inside? I read tweets saying they couldn't because he's the backup center to Morse, but I don't see how that would have any impact on him moving over in a pinch. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks and go Bills. It's a fair question, Adam. Um, I would say if I had to guess what the answer would be from the Bills, it would be two things. Well, it's not just that he's the backup center, but he's also that utility offensive lineman. They'll put him as a extra offensive lineman when they want to go heavy. So that's another role that he fills. And if he's playing tackle or guard, it's not something he's then able to do. Now, I, I understand what you're probably thinking. Well, have Tommy Doyle do that or have Jamil Douglas do that. I, I Look, I get it. I'm just telling you what I think the Bills would say if you ask them. The second thing is a lot of times versatility for offensive linemen is a great thing. It's going to keep you on the roster, but it's going to keep you off the field. Like if you can play all the positions, you're going to make the team, but you're probably not going to play. That's just how it is. And you go back to last year, and something that Coach McDermott said about Ike Bakker that stood out to me is that he believed 
Ike Bakker took a step forward because they eliminated cross-training him at center. And he was able to focus in at guard, and he became a better guard and you know played his best football and got on the field and all that type of stuff. And so maybe they're subscribing to a similar thing with Bates in that, hey, we love that you can really play all these positions, but we really don't want you to play tackle or guard. You're the backup center only, and you're our utility offensive lineman. That's what I think the thought process is. It's Thanksgiving, and we know what that means, football. And nothing goes better with football than turkey in betting. And betonline.ag has you covered all holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. Head to their new updated website and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use our promo code LOCKEDON. And it's not just football. BetOnline has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. So don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, and BetOnline is where the game starts. Next one today comes from Jason who says, I know this Bills team is talented enough to win the Super Bowl, but have been extremely erratic so far this season. Even against the Colts today, if they stop the dumb penalties and McKenzie doesn't fumble, they could have gone in at halftime down 17-10 or 17-14. What do the Bills have to do to get the offense going, especially over the next five games where they really need to go 4-1? and one? I give the defense a pass since outside of half the Titans game, this is really their only game that they laid an egg in all year. Good question, Jason. If I had to subscribe to some ideas to help the Bills offense find some consistency. I would say that more quick game in the passing offense, you know, it doesn't always have to be Josh Allen ripping the ball down the field. You can do more timing and rhythm stuff and just more manufactured throws. Try to get some yards after catch. Try to get some quick hitting outbreaking patterns and slant flat combos and you know, getting the running backs going a little bit more in the passing game, that, that would be something that I would point to. Number two is a more effective rushing offense, right? That would be helpful. So I think that you can potentially do that by getting Matt Breida more involved and, of course, by having Spencer Brown back into the lineup. I would continue with variety when it comes to personnel groupings. I think over the last couple of weeks, that's something that has improved. Obviously, taking care of the football, not turning it over, and less penalties, And so I think you can take some of the best things that they do, which is throw the ball down the field, the vertical passing game, the play action stuff, running the ball with Josh Allen. You can do all that and then complement it better with the stuff I just talked about. I think that would be a a good way to find some consistency on offense. The next one comes from Josh Allen Stan, who says, what are the biggest coaching adjustments you'd like to see going into our final seven games? Hoping players are healthy, there are still a number of things that need to be fixed to find that 2020 groove again. All right, so I don't want to repeat all the stuff that I just said, but I do want to take this opportunity to say this. The Bills team is going to get better with the return of Spencer Brown, Star Latulale, and Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, you have considerable upgrades that are coming by just getting your players back. Spencer Brown's return means you're better at two spots on the offensive line. 
I mean, you get better in two out of five spots on your offensive line. That is not a small thing. We've seen the impact that Spencer Brown has on this team. I've given you the metrics when he's in the lineup versus when he's out of the lineup. You get your one tech back, and that means less Vernon Butler. (laughs) Right? I mean, how much better do you get by having star and diminishing Vernon Butler's role on the team? And then Tremaine Edmonds, who's your Pro Bowl middle linebacker, the leader of your defense. You don't think that's going to matter having him back? And so that's what I would point to. Like, in addition to some of the stuff that I mentioned there on offense, there's some pretty clear ways that the team's going to get better by just getting their players back. And then, of course, Matt Breida can really spark this offense, and I think you have to continue to lean on that. Not like he's RB1 or like he gets the ball 20 times, but have a plan for him to touch the ball seven, eight, nine, ten times a game. And then if he's hot, I mean, heck, just keep giving him the ball. Maybe he is RB1. I don't know. I'm not big on Singletary or Moss. So, sure, <laughs> like, get Breida going. Whatever it takes. Try anything because right now this, this rushing attack cannot be leaned on. The running back production is just not good enough. And I think a lot of it's because of a talent deficiency that exists between Moss and Singletary. All right, the last one today comes from Matt. Matt has a couple of good ones for us. He said, first, a possible overreaction from the last few weeks. Zach Moss should be on the bench, and we should be giving a look to Antonio Williams. There's a 0% chance he could give us any less than Moss, and Williams plays special teams. Look, sure, I'm here for it. Try something different. I've been mostly disappointed with Zach Moss. I don't think I've had too much praise to offer him here on this podcast. I think that he's a running back that runs to to contact. I don't think he has great vision. I think he's too focused on pinballing off people and not focused enough on creating yards. I mean, I appreciate what he does in pass protection, but he's inconsistent catching the football. He's inconsistent toting the rock. He has some fumbling issues. Like, I'm not a big Zach Moss fan. So if Antonio Williams can come in and provide some fresh legs and run hard and give the team a spark, like, all right, sure. I'm not married to any of these running backs. So, sure, I'm for trying that. Uh, The second thing from Matt is general manager Joe Marino is brought in to fix the Bills' offensive line in 2022. What moves is he making with the current guys, possible free agents, and a pick in the mid to late first round? So I'm probably not going to do much in terms of the existing players. I might look to John Feliciano as a cap casualty, but in my plan that I'm going to outline for you, he's not going to be a starter. So having him as your backup center guard player is something that I can certainly live with. And that would mean that you can let Eichbacher walk in free agency and don't have to worry about paying him. Um, But there's two players that I go after. In free agency, I'd try to sign Brandon Scherf from the Washington football team. I don't know if he's going to hit the market. They've been doing the franchise tag with him for a couple of years now. But if he hits the market, you got to go all in. I mean, that's your plug-and-play difference maker at left guard. So I would very aggressively pursue Brandon Scherf. And as far as the draft, the guy that I want is Ikem Aquanu from North Carolina State. I'm not sure that he doesn't get picked in the top 10, but if you really feel like you need to go all in and and get this player, like let's say that the Bills are 
a playoff team, but they lose lose in the first round, and you're picking like in the early 20s, might not be a bad idea to shoot up the board and and get yourself this player because Iquanu is everything, and I mean everything that this Bills offensive line needs in terms of a big physical presence that is an absolute mauler in the run game. I mean, just put on any NC State game, and you're going to see this guy put people on their back over and over and over again. I mean, he is tenacious. One of the best and most aggressive run blockers I've ever seen. And he's a really stout pass protector as well. So you get a Quanu in here, you get Brandon Scherf to go with Morse and Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins, and then, you know, Darrell Williams is still in the mix. I mean, if Aquanu's not ready right away, you still have him at guard. He can still play back upright tackle. You train Iquanu as a left side player potentially. Can play left tackle and left guard. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I think that solves your problem right away. All right, folks. That's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Tomorrow is going to be our comprehensive primer on the New Orleans Saints. We'll break that team down from every angle, talk about the challenges that they present, and what I think the Bills need to do to come away with a win on Thanksgiving night. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.